Welcome to Management for Startups. Management for Startups is about managing people in small businesses and organizations between 2 to 50 people. My name is Cedric. This podcast is never longer than 15 minutes, so let's get started. So today we're going to be talking about training, and this episode is part of the mini-series The Bare Minimum You Need to Know to Be an Adequate Manager. Uh, and as I mentioned in previous episodes, the series is specifically made for managers and startups who don't really like management, and you just want to learn the bare minimum to be effective so that you can gain a level of sanity in your life. Um, and I've also mentioned, well, that like if most of the time managers uh, in startups uh, don't set out to be managers. You came in as a good individual contributor, like a designer or a marketer or a programmer. And, you know, eventually management duties crap into your schedule because you were the most senior person in the company. And now you're starting to feel a bit resentful for the sheer amount of management rubbish that's uh, crafting up your schedule. So we are going to talk about the four techniques, uh, the four techniques that make up the bare minimum. This is technique number two. In the previous episode, we talked about delegation. And I mentioned that delegation and training are two halves of the same process. Uh, I also argued that if you don't see training as part of delegation, then what's going to happen is that you will be dissatisfied or annoyed with the, the, the quality of the output that your subordinates do. Um, and you will, f- you know, you feel the need to step in and redo the work for them or to micromanage because you yourself started out as a very competent individual contributor in the company, right? Um, and that is a really bad outcome. Uh, uh, you don't want to micromanage at all because it's really horrible to be on the receiving end of a micromanager. Um, so training is really important. Now, in this episode, I think the first half we're going to be talking about the real, you know, the really basic things to take note of uh, uh, when you're training. And I know from my experience that some of you really like training. You really like teaching other people and watching them grow. So uh, even if you find the basics really boring because you you take to it as naturally as a duck takes to water, um, I still recommend that you stick around for the end of the episode because then I'll be talking about uh, higher level techniques on how to make this more efficient, how to systematize it, and how to uh, make sure that you're not the person, you're not, you're not stuck doing training all the time. So training. Now, when I think about training, I keep thinking about this crude analogy that a manager friend uh, made to me at, at, at the beginning of my management career. And he said that the analogy that he liked to use when he was thinking about training was uh, 90% handholding in the beginning uh, with 10% independence. And then for like the second delegated task, it will be 80% handholding and Twenty uh, percent uh, independence and so on and so forth. You know, right? So like the the point he was trying to make is that like you really hold their hand in the beginning, and then you let go uh, over time as they become more independent. And I don't really like this uh, analogy because I think it's quite crude. Uh, obviously, in practice, uh, it's not clear that every task is equal is is exactly the same. So it's definitely possible for a subordinate to be good at certain tasks, right? Because they have experience in, say, certain parts of the product, but they don't have experience in other parts of the product. And obviously, you can't delegate tasks uh, or based on those parts of the product that they have no experience with because that would be abnegation or, or that would result in them producing subpar work. 
So obviously we have to be a bit more nuanced about it. The analogy that I really like though is uh, this analogy of thinking about training as Super Mario. So if you've ever played the classic Nintendo game Super Mario, you would know that the very first level of Super Mario is like this beautifully designed level uh, that teaches you how to play the game, right? And you can go Google about, I, mean, I think you can go find it's either on Google or YouTube, um, they are uh, very detailed breakdowns of uh, how Super Mario achieves its training outcomes uh, because the first level is actually really brilliantly designed to introduce uh, each idea to the player uh, in sequential order so as not to overwhelm the player with too much information. So the idea that I want to take away from this, that I want, I want you to take away from this, is that training is really like that in, in a in a startup, right? Um, you want to introduce each atomic idea, uh, really, really small ideas in sequential order, and you don't want to overwhelm the new hire or your new teammate uh, with too much information. And I think in the same way that Super Mario sort of introduces like, okay, you can move forward and backwards, and then, okay, you can die by dropping into holes, and there are enemies, and you can die if you touch them. And then it introduces the idea that you can kill those enemies by jumping on them, right? Um, similarly, uh, when you are teaching your new teammates or your new subordinates, you have to remember that there are a lot there are a lot of tiny little things that you as the senior manager or the senior programmer, uh, the senior person basically, you take for granted that you know, but a new hire or a new teammate would totally not know. So I'll give you an example. In my, in my company, the first task that I always give everyone on my team is I ask them to change the color of a button. And you might think like, you know, why, why change the color of a button? That's like a really stupid task. That's a really simple task that's not realistic, right? But think about it. In order to change the button, uh, my new subordinate would need to know how to download the code onto his computer, uh, need to learn how to navigate the code because this is a really large code base. So this is the first time he's looking at this code. And then he will need to find the location, he or she will need to find the location of the button. And then he or she will need to find uh, the visual code for the button. And then finally, after doing all these little things that you and I, I mean, a senior person would take for granted, only then can my new subordinate uh, figure out like how to change the color of the button. So this is exactly like Mario. These are all, this, this first task is small enough and easy enough uh, to uh, not appear threatening, but at the same time, it, it, it serves as an exercise to introduce the new hire to all these little things that are necessary for uh, their job anyway. And the second task builds on this first task. So everything related to navigating the code and manipulating the code and running the program, uh, that still applies. My second task is usually to ask them to uh, add a new button and then to hook it up to some actual functionality. So this builds on the knowledge of finding the button and changing the color of the button in the first task. I think the important thing to note here as well is to you can take this idea further and be a bit more strategic. So obviously, uh, your training program is going to look like a series of tasks that you give a new subordinate that teaches them concepts and that build on each other. Um, but you can be a bit more strategic with the exact tasks that you teach, right? So that the new hire is exposed to other ideas that are not just like familiarity with the uh, product. Um, so I'll give you another example here. Uh, in my company, uh, the training program is an onboarding process that takes about two weeks. And the first week is pretty much a series of uh, really handheld guided tasks that builds the knowledge of the product. Um, and one of these, some of these tasks, I think two of these tasks are not 
uh, they don't introduce new technical ideas. Instead, I ask them to implement a feature for a particular set of customers. So we make point of sale software, and one of our uh, one uh, category of our customers are what we call services customers. So these are cu cu customers who have to keep track of. Uh, businesses who have to keep track of their customers. An example would be, say, a martial arts studio or a dance studio where you can buy like a, a, 12, a package of 12 classes and then you have to keep track of which member has redeemed, uh, how many classes do they have left and so on and so forth. So the purpose of adding those two tasks aren't to introduce like new ideas related to implementing features. Like implementing these features are exactly drawn exactly the same knowledge that have been covered in previous tasks. But I added these two tasks because I wanted uh, my new teammates or my new subordinates to have some experience dealing with this problem domain, this product domain, so that later when we actually have to assign them to uh, a customer, uh, client customization for one such customer like this in this category, of which there are quite, I mean, it's quite a large category in our customer base, then they would have some product uh, knowledge and domain experience uh, on, of the problems uh, faced by these customers. So yes, introduce each new uh, uh, technique and introduce it sequentially and build on each building block that you introduce in each task and be a bit more strategic with the tasks that you choose to train your new subordinates. Um, but the second thing is, I think let's scale back a bit and sort of talk about the process of training itself. So training is quite clearly you hold their hand at the very beginning, you actually take them through and walk them through what they need to know for the first task. And of course, the, the important uh, second part of training is that after they finish the task, you need to sit down with them, look through the output of their work, their code, uh, the implementation of the feature, and then give them feedback. And feedback is hugely important because that's how they improve. Um, so on feedback, uh, I, I, I will say three things. The first thing is that you should... Of course, you should correct them if they've made a mistake or they've done something that doesn't you know, meet your expectations. Uh, but you should also focus your feedback on people who have done really well, even if they've surpassed your expectations. And the reason for this is really simple, right? Like your job is to increase the output of your team. If you take a good performer and you make him even better, then that's only going to benefit you and your team in the long run. Um, the second idea uh, that you need to think about when you're giving feedback is that you need to communicate expectations and culture. So in I've mentioned before in the previous episode that delegation can only happen in, with a shared information base. And when you correct them on the implementation of the feature, that is helping them with the information base. But delegation also needs uh, a shared set of operational values. And by operational values, what I mean is you have a shared understanding of uh, how to implement a feature, of what is an acceptable level of quality for a feature. Uh, and all these little things are communicated during the training process because uh, you don't really want to do it uh, when you're actually delegating an actual task that is of critical importance to the business. So that's training. That's the basics of training. Um, let's now talk about things that you can do to make this less uh, time-consuming. So one of the earliest optimizations that I did, and I think this is quite obvious, is that you should only train once, right? So you should train a new subordinate once, and when you first create this training program, designing the series of tasks and giving some thought into like which uh, series of tasks should be done first and what should build on uh, on the on the next one, um, this takes time and it takes energy, right? So 
my recommendation is that the very first subordinate you train, you get uh, that subordinate to write everything down in a document. And that document becomes the basis of your training program. So that after the entire onboarding training process is done, you get the document back, you clean it up, and then that becomes the basis for training the next subordinate. And over time, you will eventually find, I think by the second or third iteration, that you would have refined the optimal set of tasks that can fit into a strict time period. So for us, it was two weeks. Uh, and for you, it might be you know, one week or maybe more. Um, but the idea is that you've iterated on it a few times, not very much. Usually it doesn't take more than like two or three iterations to get a pretty good training program. And then now you have amortized that upfront effort of designing that training program across every other hire that you make subsequently, right? So that's pretty cool. Uh, you don't have to constantly, you know, scratch your head and think like, how do I design tasks each time a new hire comes in? Because that's really painful. Now, the, t the fourth, sorry, the fourth and final thing is to my suggestion is to just take this idea to its logical extreme, right? Um, I think when you when when new managers think of training, they're like, okay, I need to train them in each task, and then you have to wait for the actual tasks by uh, the customer or the product demands before you can actually train them in all the various kinds of tasks that a subordinate in your team would have to deal with. Um, my take is that I think you should systematize it. So the logical conclusion of trying to standardize and amortize your effort is that you should try to give every person who goes through your training program the exact same of tasks. Um, so if you're a designer, you know that, that might mean like giving them a feature or a mock-up that you've already designed and has already implemented in the product. Um, if you're a programmer, it means implementing a feature that is already implemented, which means which then means that you have to freeze the code base to a state right before you implemented that feature. And the benefits of this are threefold. So like the first benefit is that because you are giving every new hire, every new team member in your team the exact same tasks when they first come in, uh, you will eventually have an idea of their ability based on how quickly or how well they do the tasks uh, that you assign them and that you train them. This sort of like standardization helps you with your probation process, um, and that makes you it makes it easier to see who is doing well and who is doing badly. Um, the second benefit is that it gives everybody a clear set of uh, expectations or like this new hire has been through the program these are the set of tasks that he can handle and so now we know when it's time to delegate real tasks to him we know exactly what his task relevant maturity is we know what tasks we can give to him without uh, training too much because it's already taken care of by the training program and the last thing is that then it means that you can delegate the actual process of training new hires to other people because everybody has gone through the same training program they know how to execute it on new hires so that is it for training. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about a uh, way of thinking about management that's going to benefit everyone. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.